Second Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at just a couple of verses, but I'll read them in a, in a few moments here. Geology is the topic we're going to be looking at this morning as we think about the biblical worldview of geology. Now, when we talk about geology, it's important we understand what we're talking about. That's kind of a big word, and some of you might be saying, well, I've heard it, but I don't know what it is. All right. When we talk about geology, a definition that, uh, from a dictionary definition is that it's a science that deals with the history of the earth as recorded in the rocks. Geology deals with the soil, the rocks, the sedimentary layers, the fossils, and all the things we find in the earth and how they help us to determine things about creation and God's plan in our world. There's a lot of confusion in that. Evolutionists claim that the earth was 4.5 billion years old, based, and uh, they base their theory largely on their interpretation of the rock layers and fossils. When the creationist argues that the earth is only about 6,000 years old, he's considered ignorant. You know, you go out in our world today, even among high school kids, and you, you mentioned that, you know, the Earth's only about 6,000 years old. I think, well, where'd you come from? Outer space? We know it's better than that. We know it's at least 4.5 billion years old. And, and they've been indoctrinated with that so much that they thought that, the, as the Bible presents it, that God created everything about 6,000 years ago looks absurd to them. And we look like a bunch of fools. Does the Bible say anything about geology? It's a good question. I think the answer is yes, and we're going to see that this morning back in the book of Genesis, chapters 6 and 7. But as we consider this, if the flood in Genesis 6 and 7 explains much of what we find in geology today, why is there so much debate? That's an important question. Why is it, if the, you look at the flood story in the Bible, and there's so much good evidence there in the flood story that helps us to explain why things are like they are today. And it makes far better sense than the evolutionary theory does because it follows what we naturally know to happen. When you have a big flood, you're going to expect to find sediment layers and buried things and fossils and all that kind of stuff. That's to be expected. In the evolutionary model over millions and billions of years of just things settling to the bottom, it doesn't work that way. So we have a much better explanation, but why is it that that isn't accepted in our world today? Well, Peter addresses this, and these are the verses I want us to look at this morning. Second Peter chapter 3, look with me at verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, he says, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Peter said the reason that they don't believe that the world perished by an overflow of flood is because they are willingly ignorant. They choose to believe that against what evidence shows, against certainly what the Bible says. They've chosen what they want to believe. So they're willingly ignorant. This morning, I will give you a very brief overview of the subject of geology in the Bible. And I say very brief, believe me, it is a very brief description. I mean, I've got a couple of books up here with me. This one especially, if you, if you like to dig into deep something, 
Scientific Creation by Henry Morris. It's an awesome book. I mean, he is a brilliant genius, or was. He's gone now. He was a genius. And the stuff, I mean, reading it, you got to have a pretty good education to even read it because he's pretty heavy stuff, but it's excellent. And if you want something a little bit lighter that helps most of us, is it the Answers book by uh, Answers in Genesis. It's written by oh, various authors. This one here is edited by Don Batten and Ken Ham and Jonathan Safari and several others like that. But these are two great books. This one here, they actually have an Answers book three that you can see and read all the contents of on the Answers in Genesis website. Got a lot of good stuff in it there, too. So these are some things that can help you. And I encourage you to dig into that. After I'm finished this morning and we have prayer, I'm planning on just opening it up for questions. And if you ask hard questions, I'll turn it over to, to Scott. Maybe he can answer. <laughs> but anyway, don't, I won't be able to answer all your hard questions, but I may be able to answer some basic things that maybe you didn't understand what I said. Okay? So we'll, I don't usually do that, but we'll do that this morning just for the sake of clarity. Now, this morning, as we look at this brief overview, I want us to start out, first of all, with a summary of the evolutionist theory of geology. What do the evolutionists believe about geology? Well, they believe in something called uniformitarianism. Great big word. It just means that things were uniform. They've always been uniform. They've always been kind of the same. All right? A definition of this and I'll be quoting quite a few things from Henry Morris's book, uh, Scientific Creationism. And, and in the book, he states the, uh, that uniformitarianism is the, uh, that the fossils and the rocks and other features of the Earth's crust form slowly over large, or over vast eons of time by the same process now at work in the Earth. All right, so they're saying that over, over eons and eons of times, long, long periods of times, Things have always happened kind of the way they are today. And based on that, they think that things would have happened, you know, that all these things would have taken place. And so they look at the strata layers. They look at the sedimentary layers. They say, well, it took a long time to do that, you know, so it must have happened a long time ago and taken a long time. And, and then things have died and buried and turned to fossils. And that's their theory of this long, 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 long time in order to get all these layers of sedimentary layers that we find in the earth. The Scottish geology, geologist named James Hutton made this statement. He says, he maintained that the present is the key to the past. What we see today is the key to understanding what took place in the past. And that given sufficient time, processes now at work could account for all the geologic features of the globe. So he's saying, what we see today, you have a little local flood, and you see what happens there. Well, over long periods of time, you've given it enough time, and the present is the key to the past, so that's how we can understand it. So that's their philosophy. That's their theory. They cling greatly to the geologic time scale, sometimes known as the geologic column. Scientists use this alleged geologic time scale to date the rocks. Henry Moore states that the scientists, he says, they do not, and he emphasizes that, they do not use the rock's appearance or the type or the mineral content or the structural features or the adjacent rocks, the ones next door, or the vertical super, 
position, how, where they are up and down in the layers, or even radiometric dating, or even the total fossil contents to date the rocks. They said they don't use any of that stuff. And then he goes on, he says, how then do they, are the rocks actually dated? What is it that determines the geologic age of, of which they are given to these rocks, they've assigned to these rocks? He says, the answer is in this. It is in the index fossils. The index fossils. So evolutionists claim that the index fossils tell us how old rock is and how old the fossils are. These index fossils are fossils that characteristically are abundant in sedimentary stratum. So what that means is you find a layer of sediment, and the kinds of fossils that are lots and lots and lots in that layer are the ones they call index fossils. So when they find a layer that's deep down, and they find these little tiny things like it buried in there, they say, oh, these are the index fossils. So we know that they were in there. Now, as we go on, we hear... we. Get, catch more of their thinking here. Fossils are the means by which rocks, this is their thinking, the fossils are the means by which rocks are assigned a geologic age. All right, so they find a, a fossil in the rock and they say, all right, this kind of fossil is this old, so we know the rock is that old. That's their thinking. Most geologists insist that sedimentary rock layers are deposited gradually over vast eons of time during which the animals lived, died, and then occasionally buried and fossilized. That's their thinking. That's their philosophy. Now, let me ask you. If a bird dies in your backyard, how long will it take for that bird to fossilize? Will that bird fossilize? No. What will happen? The bugs will eat it, the other creatures will eat it, it'll disintegrate, and it'll lay there in a pile of bones, and the bones will eventually decay and rot, and they will never, ever fossilize. That's not how fossils are formed. All right? Fossils have to be buried rapidly in the right kind of conditions with the right kind of chemicals around them in order to fossilize. Otherwise, they won't fossilize. They'll rot and decay. Now, one more thought about the evolutionist thinking. Fossils are used as the only key for placing rocks in the chronological order. All right, now catch that. They say that the fossils are the key to knowing which order the rocks were, how old, the oldest one, and then the next oldest, and the next one. Fossils are the key to finding that out. But they go on. They said the criterion is for assigning the fossils to pl specific places in the chronology is the assumed evolutionary progression of life. Huh. What that means is they say, well, of course we all know that the little guys must have evolved first, so therefore the little guys must be at the bottom, and therefore the little guys are the oldest ones, and therefore when you find lots of these at this place, then they're the oldest ones. So they're, it's their assumed philosophy, their assumed thinking. This assumed evolutionary process is based on the fossil record so construed. So what are they saying? They're saying the rocks are this old because the fossils are in it, and the fossils are, we know how old the fossils are because of what rocks they're in. That's circular reasoning. They're building on the same thing. They're saying 
The rocks tell you how low the fossils are. Fossils tell you how old the rocks are. It doesn't work that way. You can't find out things like that. Garrett, would you mind turning the heat down to 23 instead of 24, please? Then as we look at this, so that's the, the evolutionary theory of geology. Now let's take a look at the summary of the creationist theory of geology. All right? Now, remember we said that the evolutionists were believed in a uniformitarianism. Creationists believe in catastrophism. A catastrophe is a disaster, something that takes place rapidly out of sequence. All right? The theory that changes the Earth's crust during the geologic history have, uh, have resulted chiefly from sudden, violent, and unusual events. That's catastrophism. So as creationists, we believe that something happened in the past that was not normal, that was out of sequence, that greatly changed everything. That big something was the flood. The Earth's history contains catastrophes that altered the rate and way that something happened. I know that's important, the rate and the way. By that we mean how fast something happened and how it happened. All right? The evolutionists say that all the geologic layers all over the whole earth were laid down over billions and billions of years. And the creationist says, no, they were laid down in, in a matter of less than a year during the flood, during a great catastrophe. So there's the big differences between the two philosophies. As creationists, we believe in the flood of Genesis chapter 6 and 7. And we believe that, the, that catastrophes, these sudden violent changes, took place during the flood and left behind all the global sedimentary layers, the fossils, the coal, the oil, and many of the major canyons that we find in our world today. Now turn back with me to Genesis chapter 7. I want to show you some verses here. I've mentioned it. Now I want to show you. Genesis chapter 7. Genesis 7 is the record of the Noahic flood. And here in Genesis chapter 7, look with me at verses 11 and 12. Genesis chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the seventh day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. All right, so God said that the, all the fountains of the deep broke open, and the waters from the heavens came down, and it rained for forty days and forty nights. Very important statement. Now look at verses 17 to 24. Verse 17. And the flood was 40 days upon the earth, and the waters increased, and bare up the ark, and it lifted up above the earth, and the waters prevailed. That's an important word. Underline it in your Bible if you do so. And were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed, there it is again, exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills were that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits, that's seven meters. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail. There it is again. 
and the water, uh, mountains were covered. All flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of creeping things that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and of cattle and creeping things and of fowl of the heaven. And uh, they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed again. It prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Now, as we look at this, several very important things, and you noticed here, as I read through there, that four different times it mentions the word prevail. That was a very key word. The word literally means to be mighty, powerful, or violent. The mighty, powerful, or violent. The waters were mighty, powerful, and violent. This violent action lasted for how long? We saw there in verse 24. 150 days. That's five months. For five months, the waters slushed back and forth violently upon the earth for five months. Now, would that do anything to this poor earth? It would do a lot to this poor earth. Especially in the midst of it, remembering the fountains of the deep were burst open. The bottoms of the oceans have seams upon them that must have broken open during that time and water shot forth out of the depths of the earth. And very great volumes of water shot forth up into heavens. And the, the vapor canopy that we believe was around the earth, making it a global uh, greenhouse, broke during that time and poured down the vapor, the water that was in the vapor canopy. So you got water gushing upward with all this soot and garbage that's flowing up with it and the rocks and the debris blowing up into the atmosphere and the water's coming down for 40 days and 40 nights. It bucketed down water. And the water was bursting out of the bowels of the earth. As the water shot forth out of there like volcanoes belching out of there. And there were all kinds of volcanic action. When then You just imagine when you start disrupting the mantle like that and causing the water to gush out of there and burst open. He said the fountains of the deep were broke open. It disrupted all kinds of things in the geology of the earth at that time. And the, the earthquakes would have gone off and there would have been volcanoes going off and there was, there was lava coming up. And we know that from all of the rock layers that are laid down that were from the depths of the earth. These rocks that were, were from the, uh, the molten earth underneath came up during the flood time. And we see evidence of those things. And they're forming all, all this ruckus that has taken place for five months, solid, nonstop, washing back and forth. You know, the best illustration that I can think of this is if you look in, if, if you have an, uh, a washing machine, a top load washing machine, and that thing's going full blast, and you lift the lid up there and have a look in there, you can see the water just going back and forth and back and forth. That's the way it was in the earth for 150 days. We know the violence of tsunamis. Some of the big tsunamis, the one they hit in Asia a few years back, just came in violently and just wiped out things, just wiped them off the map. 
And can you imagine that taking place all over the world? And the waters were deep enough that they were seven meters above the highest mountain. You say, Pastor, that's awful deep. The mountains are high. No, there weren't high mountains then. The mountains we know now were created during the flood. All of the mountains we have now were created during the flood. And we have evidence of that. And I'll talk about that in a few moments. But the, the mountains were then, we have no idea how high they were, but God said the waters rose 15, meter, or 15 cubits or 7 meters above the highest of the mountains. The whole earth was covered with water. And it destroyed the earth as it went back and forth violently. Explosions in the earth's crust and the spout of the water and all of these things taking place for all that time destroyed this earth. Completely destroyed this earth. And there's very strong evidence as we see that before the flood there was probably immense vegetation on the earth. Can you imagine if the whole earth was a greenhouse and things were growing to the ultimate extreme? The the grasses and the plants and the things would have been gigantic. They found, they found all kinds of buried stuff in, in sediments, in, in, in the rock layers of gigantic things that, that grew back then. Just tons of it. And all of the coal and all the oil. We'll talk about that in a moment. But that, they came from the sedimentary things being washed together in, during the flood. It was a violent time. These gigantic tsunamis were taking place. The violence even left after a local flood or a cyclone. It's horrific. But you think of it on a global scale. Unbelievable. Just our, our minds struggle to grasp. We would expect to see a continent-wide sedimentary layers like the Great Australian Bight. You take a look at that from a side view. Layer after layer after layer of sediment. Deep sediment. Hundreds of feet thick. How did it get there? During the flood. And all of these, we expect to see that, lay down rapidly, quickly, burying billions of creatures as fossils. Generally, the ocean creatures. That's to be normal. Why? Because they're in the water. And that's to be expected. They would be the ones that would be buried first. And the ones that were out of the water would be the ones that would be less likely to be buried. And many of them would rot because they would decay before they would be buried. But some, even the bigger animals, would be buried quickly in all of the ruckus of the sediment that was taking place. We would expect that. The great huge deposits of coal were from vegetation. As you look after a flood, you'll see that even local floods, there's all kinds of vegetation and debris that's all kind of piled into piles all over the place. Well, the same thing happened on a grand scale of the flood. And this vegetation was piled into such huge piles and then buried in, in the chemicals that were there at the time, at the burial. In those cases, it turned to coal. That's why you have some places where the trees stand upright in the coal beds. And they say, oh, it must have been standing there growing in over billions and billions of years. Trees don't stand for billions of years. They'll rot and decay. Not only that, but some of the trees are upside down or sitting sideways. 
They can't explain it. Why? That's normal during a flood. We would expect that. These these are polystrate fossils. They're ones that break through several layers of, fo- uh, of sedimentary. That just goes against evolutionary thinking, but it's perfectly logical for the creationist thinking. We understand that. That makes good sense to us. Because you'd expect if things were happening very rapidly and the sediments were settling down over a few months instead of over billions of years, you'd expect there to be trees standing up through and, and big stones in certain areas that go over several layers. of the. We'd expect all that. And we would expect the burial of these things. Then the oil deposits, creatures swept together in masses. And from what I read and understand, they, ex- they say that most of the oil was from soft vertebrate, fishy type stuff. That was piled into piles. Think about all the oil. They've been pumping oil for years. And there's lots of oil left. And it all was formed by all this veg, all, all these, all these creatures that were buried and squashed and the oils remained left over. Amazing. And even the sci- uh, secular scientists say, well, yeah, that's what it is. We know that's what it comes from. But they can't explain it. That doesn't happen over billions and billions of years. You don't have all these animals pile up and finally they co- get covered up and turn into oil. It doesn't happen that way. It's got to be fast. Fits perfectly with the creation model. Then there's thick beds of DE. Anybody know what DE is? Diatomaceous earth? You heard of diatomaceous earth? It's microscopic seashells. There are places, I think one of the biggest places in California, where it's, I think it's over 100 feet thick. Can you imagine these microscopic seashells piled up that thick in one spot? That didn't happen over billions of years. That just doesn't happen. They're almost, and they're clean. It's not like they're full of all kinds of debris and they got sorted all the, no, they're piled together because they were swarming together and God covered them all at the same time with massive floodwaters and, and sedimentary things that were coming over and squashing them. It's amazing what God did. Then there's the pinnacles. You're going up north and see the pinnacles. How do they form? They're sedimentary. That's why there's strata layers in them. They were sediment that after the flood, when the waters washed off, some of the pillars were strong enough that they endured the wash off of the water and they still stand. And then we've got Ayers Rock out in the middle of our country. It's sedimentary layers laying on their side. How did that happen? They didn't form that way. But the upheaval of the earth when things were settling and there was the, the things were adjusting to the sediments of the settling of, this, of the, of the uh, earth after the flood, they bulged out of the water being pushed around almost like, you know, you're pushing something down if you step in mud and you step down in mud and it all squishes up the other sides. The same kind of a thing was happening during that time. And one of the coolest things is the high mountains. Even the secularists know how the mountains were formed. I I did a Google search. How were the Himalayan mountains, how was Mount Everest formed? And the secular scientists say, well, we know how it was formed. 
the continents were drifting and they squished them together and there wasn't any place for the dirt and it all kind of squirted up in a pile and that's what got the mountains there. They know that's what happened. And that's exactly what the Bibles would describe as after a big flood that things squished up like that. Well, that's why most of the mountains around our world are near the ocean coastlines. Because as the ocean settled down and put the pressure on the water, land and it squished up there and the earth didn't have any place to go and it pushed up. One of the coolest things, have, have any of you ever seen strata layers that, are, that, that look like twisted spaghetti? It is so cool. I've driven through mountains in America where you look at these sides of the mountain and it literally is going like this. The rolls in the, in the rock layers. You can see all the rock layers and it's just like a bunch of rolls like this. How did that happen? This is hard rock. It happened when it was still soft. And it happened during the, after the flood. The sedimentary layers were down. The oceans were settling. The pressure was in. And as the pressure squished it in, they all went and crinkled up and formed it as we see them now. And all the twisted layers. It's amazing. And the creationist model describes this, and we expect those kind of things with that, but that, the evolutionist can't explain that. Doesn't have an answer for that. So we've looked at the creationist theory. We've taken a brief look at the evolutionary theory. And folks, listen, I, I'm only scratching the surface on both of these. And I know there's much more that could be said. But let's just take a look at some of the <clears throat> evidences for what we believe. Why do we believe what we do? Here's some things that you can hang on to that will help you when someone's trying to debate with you and say, that's not true, you shouldn't believe that nonsense. Here's some things you can hang on to. First, I want to give you a list of six evidences of the flood. And these are by Dr. Andrew Snelling from Answers in Genesis. And I've just abbreviated what he said. I didn't go on to all, all that he did. You can look it up on the website. If you download my notes, i got all the links of the uh, websites on my notes from the websites. So you can go ahead and look at that. But number one, he says, sea creatures buried high in the mountains. Way up high in the mountains, they found thousands and thousands of sea creatures fossilized in the high parts of the mountains. How do you explain that? It had to have been that the, they, those mountains weren't up there before. They were down here before, and they squished up there after the flood. Number two, rapidly buried plants and animals and fossilized. And they have fossil graveyards where there's places where dinosaurs are piled in by the bazillions, all piled on top of each other, and all the bones are all over each other. That didn't happen by accident. That wasn't a bunch of, all right, it's time to die. Or they didn't, the dinosaurs didn't drag their dead ones out and put them on a pile and they eventually turned into dinosaur bones. No, it didn't work that way. It was during the flood when they were all bunched up together and piled into piles and huge graveyards. And it's not just dinosaur bones. A lot of these graveyards of bones are just all sorts of animals all piled in together as we would expect after a gigantic flood. Number three. Rapid deposit of sedimentary layers all across the continents. We're not talking about sediment that covers Western Australia. We're talking about sediment that covers the continent. And even sediment that covers in, you know, from all across America and on over into some of the other areas of the world. We find the sediment goes worldwide. It's all over the world that these sedimentary layers are. 
Number four, the long transport distance of sediments. There are certain sediments, and he goes into detail on his little article on the website, where they know where the source is for this stone or this rock or this kind of stuff, and it was moved a long, long, long distance to another place and deposited. And they say, how did it get way down there? Had to be a violent storm. And the flood was so violent that it could move gigantic rocks in its violence. Number five, rapid or no erosion between sedimentary layers. No erosion between sedimentary layers. So when you go to a place like the Grand Canyon or other places and they look at the sedimentary layers, the evolutionists would say, well, there's billions of years between this sedimentary layer and this sedimentary But yet it's almost smooth. And you can't find any decay or disruption or junk in it. If it was laying there for a thousand or a million or a billion years, you would expect other junk to pile in there before the next one got on there. But there isn't any sign of that kind of stuff. It's all missing. So it's an evidence of a quick deposit of the sedimentary layers. Number six, whole rock layer sequences deposited rapidly in succession. I mentioned a few moments ago the bent layers of the rocks. Amazing to see. And all of these things were rapidly laid down during the flood. You might ask, well, Pastor, yes, but what about the radiometric dating methods? Radiometric dating methods. They they like to tell us, we can tell because we've got these radioactive dating methods. Well, the radioactive dating often yields inconsistent results. you, You date one rock and then date it two or three times, and they actually will ask the person, I mean, I've read... uh, Morris makes mention of this. He said, when they take a rock in to the an- analogy place, they say, how old do you think this rock should be? And so they tell them, well, it should be about you know 20 million years old. And so they go through and they test it. Oh, that one didn't work. Let's do it again. Test it again. Until they get one that's close to that age. Okay, we got one that will match what you want. It's inconsistent. You can't depend upon it. Another thing. Recently formed rocks from volcanoes, produce often very, very old ages. I mean, there's volcanoes that go off all the time, and they can test that rock. And you test that rock, and they say, well, this rock was 20 million years old. No, wasn't it was formed, you know, 40 years ago. We know. We know exactly when it was and when it blew up. And so the radioactive dating methods don't work consistently. The dating methods also require a closed system. That means nothing added or subtracted, and this is impossible to determine. Now, what do I mean by that? What that means is, is that they're assuming that everything is just like it is today, and nothing's changed in it. We'd say the, the flood was a catastrophe. Lots of things changed. Everything was kind of normal until the flood, and then the flood just boom. That was a major, major disaster for a whole year, and lots of things changed during that year. Lots of things happened very rapidly during that year. The evolutionists would say, no, things always stayed the same. And the 
nothing changed how the rocks were developing, and nothing changed how these things were taking place, nothing changed in how rapidly the the radioactive materials decayed. It always stayed the same. It was a closed system. But they can't prove any of that. We weren't there. We don't know. You can't say, well, yes, that's always been. We don't know because nobody was there. Dates are ultimately based on the evolutionary theory. It's another major problem. They want things to be so old and so therefore their dates are ultimately based on how old they want them to be. And it is commonly asserted that the fossil record provides the best evidence for evolution. And it's important to remember that the geologic evidence is the same for everyone. It is the interpretation that differs. We can look at the rocks they can look at the rocks. We look at the fossils. They look at the fossils. And it's how you interpret what you see. It's, they don't, the rocks don't tell us anything. The fossil records are no different. The fossils, the rock layers, the dating methods can never prove that evolution did or did not happen. And the same is true for creation. can't prove anything. We just look at what we can see as evidence. I want to close... But by giving you ten of the best evidences for, from science that confirm the young earth. Again, this comes from the Answers in Genesis website. Ten things. Number one, very little sediment in the seafloor of the oceans. There's very little sediment. They can go down to the ocean bottoms and they measure the sediment, how much sediment is there, and they calculate, they know how much sediment is being added Yearly, they have all kinds of ways of calculating from all the runoff from the earth. We know it's X amount that's running into there, and therefore, based on that, if it was billions of years, or even if it was millions of years, there would be a lot more sediment in the ocean than there is now. And they look at it and say, well, yeah, there's enough sediment there for a few thousand years. Something must have happened. We don't know. Maybe the earth ate it up or something. They make excuses. The bent rock layers that I mentioned, is another evidence. The soft tissue fossils, they have found fossils that still have soft tissue in them. Impossible if they were billions of years old or even millions of years old. So we know that that's not true. It can't be. Then another one is the faint, it's called the faint sun paradox. This means the sun, they know, is getting warmer. At least... Some of them claim this, that the sun is getting warmer, and thus, if it's getting warmer, that means that it once upon a time was what? It was cooler. All right? If it's getting warmer, it had to have been getting cooler. Well, when you back up and back up in time, if you back up enough in time over millions of years, so that by the time it's to where we are now, millions of years ago, this place would have been an ice block. I mean, the sun would have been so cold that nothing could survive. It doesn't add up. Another one is the decay, the decay of the magnetic fields. The earth is surrounded by magnetic fields that produce, uh, that protect living things from solar radiation. Without it, life could not exist. If an old age earth, it could 
um, if the earth is old in its age, it could be gone by now or should be gone by now. You know, so this, all this magnetic fields that are out there should be all gone by now if the earth was super old, like they say it is, because they are rapidly decaying. Another thing goes right along that same line is the helium in the radioactive rocks. Uh, helium diffuses so rapidly that all the helium should have leaked out of all the rocks in less than 100,000 years, not millions and billions. And yet there's still helium in the rocks. Carbon-14 in the fossils, coal and diamonds. Carbon-14 decays so quickly that half-life is only about 5,730 years that none of uh, is expected to remain in the fossils after only a few hundred thousand years. Okay, and we don't believe it's a few hundred thousand years, but it disproves the millions and billions of years. The, there's, not enough, there's not enough of the carbon there. It can't last that long. It doesn't work that way. Another one is the short-lived comets. We see the comets in the sky. And every time the comet goes near the sun, the sun evaporates part of the comet away. And it, we know the rotation of it. There's a rotation that goes around. And so after, if, if they lasted billions of years, they would have been long gone. But we know that because of these shorter years, that they're, they may be getting smaller in size, but they're still there. Two more. Very little salt in the ocean. There's salt being added to the ocean all the time through evaporation. The ocean is getting more and more salty. If the earth was billions of years old or millions of years old, there would be so much salt in the ocean that nothing could live. But there's not. The last one is the DNA in the ancient bacteria is very similar to the modern bacterial DNA. Pretty technical stuff. But they say there's there's similarities there that are so similar. Well, how can that be? After all, this, it, doesn't, it doesn't support their evolutionary ideas. So these things here, folks, really, I, as I share these things with you this morning, honestly, I feel like you know, a, a first grader trying to teach a, a, a college course. You know, I, I, I don't feel adequate for it. But that's why I challenge you to just pick up some good creation, creation books and read for yourself. Dig a little deeper. But what I try to do this morning is give you some basic things that can help you to be able to grab onto these things and say in your own mind, to say concretely, yes, I believe that all the geologic things that we see in our world today were caused by the flood or by creation. God did it. God did all those things. It didn't happen over millions and billions of years. We don't have to believe that stuff. And if they mock you and laugh at you, you can just use some of these things and say, all right, well, you, you laugh all you want, but how come there's not more salt in the ocean? How come there's not more sediment in the ocean? Why are these things happening the way they are? Why, why are how did those bent rock layers get into the mountainside? How did the mountains get pushed up like that? When did all that happen? How did it settle down? You know, but in the creationist view, as we look at how God, after the flood, the oceans, all these empty caverns under the ocean because of the water gushing up and the pressure that was taking place as things were settling down and the, and the soft land was being squished and pushed and, and the, the uh, land masses being wedged and the mountains squishing up, we see that this makes perfectly good sense. Now, sure, there's things we can't answer. 
There's things that Christians still can't, you know, even the smartest Christian scientists say, well, we're, we're just not so sure about these things. But it fits the creation model far better than it does the evolutionary model. And that's what I want you to grasp. That's what I want you to take home. That's what I want you to hold on to. All right. As we consider these things this morning, I, 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 I trust that it will help you to build your faith, to be stronger in the Lord, and to say, yes, we can trust the Bible, and don't let the evolutionists deceive you and to pull you astray and to cause you to doubt your faith in God. God knows what he's doing.